Big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for tuning in to Max on Movies. I'm your host, Max Foise. Remember, you can go to KTRS.com slash Max on Movies to hear more. You can also read my written reviews at ZekeFilm.org. I wanted to thank the studio behind Migration, Universal Studios. They sent me a 4K Blu-ray of Migration for review, and you can hear my full review of Illumination's movie Migration on the movie show. All you have to do is go to KTRS.com slash Movies, and you can find it there. But I wanted to highlight this 4K release. It looks gorgeous. I was very happy to get a copy of this. It also includes three all-new mini-movies, including, yeah, The Minions, you also have a making of featurette, meet the cast featurette. My kid always likes watching those because he's like, oh, wow, here are the humans that voice these animated characters. For the budding artists out there, you even have how to draw tutorials. Migration was a fun movie, especially for the younger set. Kamal Nanjiani, Elizabeth Banks, Danny DeVito, great voice work here. And on 4K, it looks stunning. So thank you again to Universal for sending me a copy of that. You sure you have to go already? I'll miss your kids so much. They are so adorable. (laughs) And you taste so good. Maybe I'll eat you. Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) Where am I? Huh? It's a joke! It's a joke! So funny. Time to go. Thanks for everything. Goodbye. I have a guitar. Goodbye. No, 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 no. Blow him a kiss. No, no, no. You don't have to walk closer. You're good there. On today's movie show, we have a review of Drive Away Dolls, the latest from a Coen brother, but not the Coen brothers. The last movie the Coen brothers did together, so far anyway, was The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which starred Tim Blake Nelson. Hmm, boy, if I ever get a chance to talk to Tim Blake Nelson, I'll ask him how he sleeps at night, seeing as how he obviously broke up the Coen brothers' filmmaking team. Well, that <laughs> that's not true at all. But you had a solo film called The Tragedy of Macbeth, which Joel Coen directed, and now you have Drive Away Dolls, which Ethan Coen directed. I'm sure the brothers will work together again, but we'll have a review of Drive Away Dolls. And speaking of Tim Blake Nelson, he's going to join the show as well with his son, Henry Nelson. They've collaborated on a new movie called Asleep in My Palm. My pal Carl, the intern middleman, also swings by to review the new Bob Marley biopic, One Love. And we'll end the show with a review of anyone but you, the Valentine Encore. But without further ado here on Max and Movies, let's get to my interview about the movie Asleep in My Palm, which is about a father-daughter living off the grid and uh, the struggles that come with that. This was written and directed by Henry Nelson, who is the son of Tim Blake Nelson. You might know Tim Blake Nelson from his role in Marvel's Incredible Hulk. He's going to reprise that role in Captain America, The New World Order. He was also in Lincoln, Minority Report, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, He directed the movie O, which was a Shakespeare adaptation of Othello. Really accomplished guy. Really happy to have them both on the show. Henry Nelson and Tim Blake Nelson. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining the show today. want to start with Henry. You wrote and directed this film called Asleep in My Palm. This is your directorial debut, your first feature film. When you were writing the story, did you think, my dad's perfect for this? You know, I weirdly enough, it it the, the when I was originally conceiving the the, the notion of it, I um, 
I had an idea, I, I, I had this idea that it would be my teacher at co- in college, and it would be like a like we'd get a grant, and that's how we'd make it with <laughs> yeah. like five thousand dollars. But then, then it, it pretty quickly. Um, once I started really talking with Dad and showing him the character, that it was going to be him. And then once it was him, it just kicked the movie into a whole other ballpark. And um, and I rewrote the character for him, and we worked on it together and really built Tom into what, he, what you see in the movie. That's fascinating. You know, I work in broadcasting, obviously. My father also works in radio, and we've had the opportunity a couple times to work together. And I've always been gobsmacked by people's reactions to that. People are like, oh, I could never work with my parent. Oh, that would be awful. I had the greatest experience, and I think it actually was really wonderfully impactful for him, too, to be able to do something creatively together. So, Tim, how was it to take direction from your son? Uh, great. It was a privilege. I, I he, he, he wrote an amazing character. And then we ended up collaborating on building that character, but the character was always out of Henry's. The collaboration was very much in support of what Henry was after in his story. Uh, And so he took the lead on this. um, And as an actor, you just want to help a visionary, um, which is what a director can and should be, Uh, tell his story. And um, I just believe in Henry. I believe in what he's up to. Uh, And he had a lot of skin in the game with, with, with this story. Uh, He, he put himself out there. Um, And so it, 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 it was nothing short of inspiring uh, to get to be a part of him telling this tale. Asleep in My Palm, and it's about a father and daughter who live off the grid, and what an interesting idea for a movie, because you have to deal with the idea of being independent, the pros and cons that come with that. Just wondering where the inspiration for the story came from. Well, you know, I was in my senior year of college, and I was asking myself a lot of tough questions about adulthood and what that's supposed to mean to me. And I was feeling really, really, really insecure about a lot of things at the time. And I was thinking a lot about my friend's experiences in college versus mine and how much of my experience was was actually um, influenced by the fact that I came from a really privileged, really, really, really fortunate background and how different colleges – for those with and without yeah. that. Yeah. And in that year, I was living really, really, really far off campus. And for the first time in the four years, the five years that I'd been there, I found myself feeling more like I was living in the town of Oberlin than I was going to the conservatory and college of Oberlin. Interesting. Well, the movie is called Asleep in My Palm, written and directed by Henry Nelson and starring Henry's father, Tim Blake Nelson. And I'm up against the clock here. But, Tim, I wanted to let you know I love the movie O, which you directed. I think it's a great Shakespeare adaptation. And my final question for you is I know you were in the second Marvel movie ever. And now you're coming back for like the 30 whatever Marvel movie. Look, I think what Kevin Feige has done at Marvel is 
absolutely remarkable and unprecedented in film history. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and, and it's, it's an honor to, to be a part of it. Uh, I, I, um, so, uh, it's been great. And, um, I, I, I hope that I've done my part. Oh, I, I'm sure you have, sir. Well, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for the wonderful work together and best of luck with a sleep in my palm. You bet. Is your dad like a spy or something? He sells stuff. I'm like what? Mainly things people have forgotten about and don't need anymore. Mostly what we see is fabrication. What about us? We're what we say we are. Did I scare you? No. He saw some bad things in the war, and he kind of cut us off from the material world. I'll meet you in the basement in about an hour and a half. You bring the bolt cutters. Got it. I found something. See? Come on, man. Put it away. The movie is Asleep in My Palm. My guests, Henry Nelson and Tim Blake Nelson. Wish I would have had more time with them, but it was one of those I was up against the clock. Still, my thanks to both of them for coming on the show. Max on Movies continues. Remember to go to KTRS.com slash Max on Movies to hear more. Big 550 KTRS, thanks for tuning in to Max on Movies. I'm your host, Max Foise. You can find the show at ktrs.com slash Movies, And we are here to talk about the new film called Drive Away Dolls. This one, well, <laughs> it has another title as well, which I can't say on the air, but you'll see it at the very end of the film. This one is directed by Ethan Cohen, half of the Cohen brothers. He wrote the screenplay with his wife, Trisha Cook. They also produced the film together, and I believe she edited the film as well. So Trisha Cook all over this movie, as well as a lot of Coen Brother hallmarks that we've come to expect from their comedies. If you're familiar with Coen Brothers comedies, especially The Big Lebowski and Raising Arizona, then you might find a lot to like here about Drive Away Dolls. We've got a great cast, including a cameo from Miley Cyrus herself. We've also got... A small role for Matt Damon, which is kind of treated as a surprise. Pedro Pascal shows up in the very first scene. And when I was watching this in the theater, the gentleman behind me in the row behind me, when Pedro Pascal appeared on screen in a giant close up, the guy behind me said, Oscar Isaac, which I thought was pretty funny because it's it's not Oscar Isaac. Coleman Domingo is also in the movie, as well as Beanie Feldstein. We love her here on the show. Geraldine. Viswanathan is also in the movie as one of our leads, and Margaret Qualley leads the film, doing her best impression of the voice that Holly Hunter used in Raising Arizona. As a matter of fact, her very affected voice might put off some viewers. I know some people who really couldn't reconcile how over the top it was. I was warned of this before I saw the film, and so it didn't bother me all that much. 
Drive Away Dolls is being marketed as sort of a, a B-movie relic from the past. I, I, I don't really see that. I guess it does have some some grindhouse sensibilities about it. But I really think it has more of a, a, a firm place with the Coen Brothers past than B-movies. As a matter of fact, my friend and colleague Jim Tudor said that this film would almost be a satire of a knockoff of a Coen Brothers film. And yes, that's a little heady, but uh, I can see where he's coming from there. You should know that this movie wears its politics on its sleeve. It is a very liberal film which mocks conservatives and conservative values. It has a couple of great jokes about Miami, about how, well, Tallahassee's okay. It's not like Miami, which I thought was pretty funny. It's also very out sexually. Our leads are lesbians and very proud of this fact. Of course, no reason why they shouldn't be, but it's definitely a giant part of the movie. Jamie and Marion are two friends on a road trip to Florida. They find themselves on the run from mobsters because they have a briefcase that they don't even know they have. It's in their trunk. And the mobsters are after this because of some sensitive material that a certain congressman wants back. This is absolutely a comedy. I found it very funny. The jokes uh, are really based on very absurd and over-the-top situations. There are some great lines that I think could become as quotable as anything from Raising Arizona or The Big Lebowski. Now, Trisha Cook, who is a huge voice in this film, uh, she was asked about her influences for drive-away dolls. And she went down this list, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, Bad Girls Go to Hell, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Go Fish, But I'm a Cheerleader, and all of the works of John Waters. So if you like any of those films, if you know what those films are, then you know the kind of mentality, the kind of vibe that's going on here with Drive Away Dolls. Now, the Coen brothers, legendary filmmakers, legendary filmmaker, uh, filmmaking team, but they haven't worked together since The Ballad of Buster Scruggs back in 2018. They took a break because they said it was just getting to be too much like work and the production of the last couple films were really tough. Now, Joel has gone on to do The Tragedy of Macbeth, very serious film, whereas Ethan has teamed with his wife to do a very unserious film here with Drive Away Dolls. So it's tempting to go back and go, oh, I guess all the serious Coen Brothers films are, are from Joel and all the more over the top ones are from Ethan. Of course, it's not how creativity or filmmaking works but i do think it's telling that those are the two that they decided to go with one chose shakespeare and one chose russ meyer basically i feel like the number one thing i say on this show whenever i'm reviewing any movie is this movie isn't for everyone but i think that's true with every movie even g-rated animated family films aren't for everyone <laughs> they're for a specific audience and so drive away dolls is definitely for a specific audience if anything that i've said in this review uh, i makes your ears prick up or offends you then maybe stay away from it i thought it was a whole lot of fun it does not take itself seriously at all i thought everyone sells their part and recites this dialogue wonderfully again very quotable things here going on i like this movie it it won me over from the opening scenes, and it's, just, I think, a really fun time at the movies. And I like that it wears its politics on its sleeve. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of punk rock, actually. The movie is Drive Away Dolls, written, produced, and edited by Trisha Cook and directed by Ethan Cohen. It is a road trip you might want to tag along with. Where do you want to go? Tallahassee. Tallahassee. What's wrong with Tallahassee? It's very nice. There's Spanish moss and live oak. Curly here. Don't call me Curly. 
And your name Curly? My name is Curly. We just met. It's too familiar. Have you ever been to Tallahassee? No, I got good sense. Your car is a Dodge Aries. Oh, okay. Is that a good car? Not really. My name is Max Foisy. The show is Max on Movies. You can go to ktrs.com slash Movies to hear more. to talk over this song, Carl Middleman. It is a wonderful song from Bob Marley and the Wailers. I remember every single friend of mine had a poster of Bob Marley in their college dorm. Anybody who went to college remembers those posters. Very, very popular Him artist. smoking. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Ganja. Got, right, because he's a Rastafarian. Yes, he is. I think it's the first time I'd ever heard of Rastafarianism was through Bob Marley. And, and then and the you Wailers. met people that smoked weed and they're like, are you a Rastafarian? No, just no, like I'm in college. <laughs> exactly. And now we have a movie called One Love, which is all about the story of Bob Marley, very influential man who put reggae on the map worldwide. Him and Jimmy Cliff. That's right. And uh, in the who Wailers, they only mentioned in this movie one time. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yes. The Wailers still tour, and of course, Bob Marley had uh, uh, sons and daughters, and his sons are still touring and writing Ziggy and recording. Ziggy and Stephen. Yeah. Who both are producers on this film. Well, there you go. And that was my next question, because the first thing I thought of when I saw the trailer for One Love was, wow, they've really Bohemian Rhapsody this. And by that, I mean, I don't know if any of this happened. Here's the thing about Bob Marley. You mentioned his children. He has at least 12 that we know of. And in fact, Junior Gong is one of his kids who is also a successful reggae musician, Grammy winner. Mm hmm. His mother is in this movie, but doesn't say a word and is always in the background. It's like, uh, I guess we got to acknowledge that this person existed. So let's because they made a big deal. Oh, look, they're they're admitting that uh, she existed, but she doesn't say anything and you never see anything there. And it's just her name is uh, Cindy Breakspear and she doesn't have a single word. But once you knew that who that person was, they allude to everything. That's the thing about this film. There are so many things that I thought were going to happen. Mm. And Max, we talked about a year ago when the Whitney Houston film, I want to dance with somebody. And I said, the music did all the heavy lifting. That is the case with Bob Marley. One love as well, because they take the instance where he's creating Exodus. Right. And that is the main focus of what's going on in this film. And I'm like, oh, good, because, you know, just like with, uh, let's say, for example, Lincoln, they take 
a weekend and they mm-hmm. just look at that. Or the Jimi Hendrix film, right. they just take that part when he was By in England. By my side, it was right. one weekend, yeah. They, I thought they were going to do that. They're, oh, they're going to do the whole thing of Exodus, how he left Jamaica because Jamaica was in turmoil and he had to come back while he made Exodus. Nope. All of a sudden they start doing flashbacks to him as a child and his white British father. And then they go back how the whalers started. And then they go back how he met his wife, Rita. They keep doing these flashbacks and then going back to the main story, which detract because all of those things are interesting by themselves. And so maybe if they would have put those in chronological order instead of having all these flashbacks, because they don't spend enough time developing any of those four Mm. stories as the main point. It's tough to do any kind of biopic in two hours when you're trying to get an entire life. And I agree with you that usually those hyper-focused ones, here's a weekend, here's a week in someone's life. Even the movie Jackie was about one week in Jacqueline Kennedy's life. That's a lot better, I think, a lot more impactful. Spencer as well uh, with uh, Kristen Stewart. It was not her entire life. It was her disillusion of her marriage to Prince Charles. Uh, And I think that you can really get a better sense of someone. Now, you do have a talented cast here. Kingsley Benadir as Bob Marley. You have him. You just saw him in both Barbie and Marvel's Secret Invasion. And he has the accent down. I never thought for one second that he, well, he's he's Mm over-exaggerating. He sounds like a Jamaican. And speaking of Marvel, Lashana Lynch. Yes, you have one of the Captain Marvels in this film as his long-suffering wife, Rita. And then there, of course, is a as an Oscar scene that she goes off and talks about all the kids that he has. But she had kids from other dudes, too. They don't mention that. So, you know, if you know the real story, because Bob Marley's life was well-documented. And so the fact that just because the kids are producing it doesn't mean they are they are saying it's warts and all, but it's from a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say. Now, Bob Marley, one of the rare musical artists who not only contributed an incredible body of work to the music world, but he also was a political and social activist and really had an impact on the world itself, not just through his music. Do they get into that? They do get into everything that was going on in Jamaica, how there are rival gangs, rival political parties. And it's weird because all of a sudden he's in the middle of all this. They tried to kill him. He's he's, there's an assassination attempt. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, let's make Exodus in England. So he leaves for a while. And you think of him being this social justice warrior, but he's, He's away from it. I'm like, wait a minute. He made Exodus in England while all the stuff is going on. He, he, he keeps saying, I want to go back. I want to go back. And then the two rival gangs come meet him in England, say, you need to come back. And he says, well, I guess I guess my European tour is over. I'll come back. And so it doesn't – I know what they were trying to do. They're trying to stay authentic, but it doesn't make him look like he was that – much of an influential guy in their turmoil that was going on in Jamaica. There's a great comedy called Walk Hard. Yeah. The story of Dewey Cox. Dewey Cox. And it stars John C. Riley, and it is a send-up, a parody, a satire of music biopics. It has all of the beats that you would expect in all, all these movies, and people thought, well, this will effectively kill that genre, except nobody saw that movie. 
And so it's good though. It's hilarious. Uh, Jenna Fisher is in it. Uh, it's it's just a wonderful film. The scene with the Beatles is. I was just gonna say that the ah. scene with the Beatles is so great because they introduce themselves. They're like, "Well, yes, but uh, George Harrison, I, John Lennon, agree <laughs> with you." It's hilarious. Uh, but uh, because it was not a big hit. People who produce and write these screenplays for biopics are able to still do those same cookie-cutter things from Straight Outta Compton to Bohemian Rhapsody and now One Love. Does it follow that same, hey, I have an inspiration for a song. Now I'm in the studio doing the song. Yes, I'm driving with my kids, Stephen and Ziggy, who are in the car and producing this movie, and I'm singing Three Little Birds to them. And then later in the movie, you see me producing it. <laughs> right, which I, is probably not how that happened. I guarantee it did not. <laughs> so... Here's what else is going on. This movie is rated R, not because he's assassinated or attempted assassination. It's because he's smoking pot the entire time. But is that why it's rated R? Oh, my gosh. So much smoking. If you are like, should I show this to my kids? Well, there is a lot of smoking going on because they make rated R movies because of smoking now. And he is smoking a lot. And I've. My friends make fun of me for this because I've said for years, you know, Bob Marley didn't die from cancer from smoking. He died from cancer in his toe. And they all think that's hilarious because they think I'm full of BS. (laughs) But no, guess what? I was right, Steve and Mike and everybody else making fun of me, Dave and Doug. No, (laughs) he was smoking pot. Yes, that probably did not help his cancer thing. But... He had an infectious melanoma on his toe that would not heal because he had cancer. Because this is such a cookie-cutter kind of musical biopic, is this something you would recommend to people, or should people just go to Wikipedia and put on one of his records? And get high, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm not going to advocate for smoking of the ganja on the Max You can appreciate show. the Bob Marley music without getting high because he was a masterful musician but what i'm saying is should you listen to bob marley and just go over the cliff notes on your own or do you need you to get watch... a more authentic story well, that that is one love a, an entertaining film is it an accurate oh, it's, film? it's entertaining well i'm surprised but uh, you say it's an entertaining film and you should go see it no i think you should wait till you can see it at home because you'll understand what they're saying if you have subtitles because they are very thick Jamaican accents in the whole film and I'm sure it's authentic but there were times you can understand the beats what's going on but if you want to know every word that is said you need to watch this Netflix style you know I felt the same way about the Mean Girls musical because I don't know those lyrics and I'm like what are you even saying I had the captions on it was great I really hate to equate it to the Whitney Houston biopic because people did not care for that but that that least was more authentic, showing the things we didn't know about her. This one is just like that because the music is doing the heavy lifting. Try it again. Make it a little less psychedelic. That's Carl the Intern Middleman. I am Max Foisy. The show is Max on Movies. The movie is One Love, the story of Bob Marley. And you can go to ktrs.com slash Max on Movies to hear more.
Carl, I hadn't heard this song in probably 30 years, and I was fine with that. Um, <laughs> not really being a fan of Natasha Bedingfield or this song called Unwritten. Wasn't However, it like the we all, of the hills? Well, we all, we, all knew, we all knew the song. Yeah. E- even if you didn't, I mean, I knew the lyrics, even if I never really put it on myself. It was just one of those ubiquitous pop songs. Osmosis. And you might be wondering, well, why, why are you playing this, Maxie? Because it's in Will Gluck's movie, Anyone But You? It is. And Will Gluck made a fantastic film called Easy A with yeah. Emma Stone. And this, to me, announced Emma Stone as a major talent. Of course, now multiple Oscar nominations. But Will Gluck did such a great job with this updating of The Scarlet Letter. Yes. And so he's decided now to update another famous masterwork, much ado about nothing. But he he also did Friends with Benefits in there, too, which... Yeah, let's not talk about that. Okay. One. Yeah. And two Peter Rabbit movies. My kid loves those Peter Rabbit movies. And then the new version of Annie. Which was Cameron Diaz's last film until Jamie Foxx convinced her to come out of retirement. They worked together on that and I guess became pals. I don't know. But we're getting, uh, we're getting off the topic here. But you're talking about Will Gluck, who has a history of doing things to refresh them. Anyone But You was a movie that was destined for streaming. It was not going to be a theatrical release. And at the last minute, the 11th hour, if you will, the studio said, you know what? There's not a lot coming out uh, post-Thanksgiving, before Christmas. Let's go ahead and put it out there, and maybe we'll make you know $25 million or something. The budget's only $25 million. Sydney Sweeney, who is uh, in this film, she's also a producer. So they're like, yeah, let's put it out in theaters and see what happens. Let's, we need something to go up against Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Aquaman, which became the highest grossing DC Comics film in like five or six years, even though they didn't really promote it because they're rebooting that whole universe. Glenn Powell is opposite Sidney Sweeney. You might know his teeth from Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> the guy has incredible teeth. Well, it was because he had a helmet on the whole time and all you see was him <laughs> smiling. When this movie was released, I'm not sure if they screened it for critics. I don't think they, they did. did. Not. Our friend Lynn Venthouse pointed that out. And I was not in a rush to see it because I'm not a big fan of rom-coms. But then something really interesting happened. Post-Thanksgiving, post-Christmas, early January, this movie was the little movie that could. It had so much positive word of mouth that it kept garnering another box office weekend win, another win, and another win. As of this broadcast, it's made more than $200 million worldwide. It had legs, as they say in the industry. It has very nice legs from our two leads. And... (laughs) Uh, they released something called the Valentine Encore. Yes, on Valentine's it's Day. It's because they were at 199 million, and they needed to get that little bump up. And so they did something where they said, "Listen, we're going to have uh, an extra Smokey and the Bandit type gag reel at the end, so mm-hmm. come see the movie." So I said, "You know what? I'm going to go see this thing because I like you the story." You went on a Valentine's behind. movie without me. I did. Normally, I thought about you. <laughs> Normally, I Max and I for three years in a row. Max and I spent Valentine's together watching Fifty Shades of Grey. And I think before that, we watched the Pitch Perfect movies. Oh, I think that was so around. Good. So I think we, we've seen like six Valentine's and movies And you went together. without me. I did. And I thought you about you. slut. I did think. I was like, should I invite Carl? You should have. And I should have because guess what? This was a big surprise. I don't want to oversell it. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a modern masterpiece. But for what it is, which is a rom-com. Which is much ado about nothing. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to get to that. It's very, very well done. And Will Gluck, I think, has proven again that he is very good at updating these older texts. And here, it's much to do about nothing. Oh, Dee! 
You ladies like dumplings? We just had the greatest dumplings. Pete, meet my sister. This is um, Pete, Claudia's brother. Nice to meet you. And uh, Ben. Ben. This is Ben. We all grew up together. Hey. Yeah. You two know each other? Yeah, we met. Barely. Wow, that's so random. I'm gonna go grab a drink. Doors that way if you're looking to sneak out. I know that's your thing. Well, I am a disaster. It's easy when your basis is Shakespeare. Yeah. He kind of knows what he's doing as far as plot and misunderstandings and goofiness. But here's what I'll tell you about Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney. If this was the 1930s and I was the head of RKO Pictures, I would sign them to a six movie deal. We're gonna make some. We're gonna make some Thin Man's. And right, and I and I, I don't even mean sequels to this. I just mean more projects together because their chemistry is is I I haven't seen chemistry like this maybe since McAdams and Gosling in the Notebook. You know, the only studio that does that anymore is Hallmark. They mm-hmm. take these mm-hmm. Hallmark stars and they put them together because people, people like, like them. them. Yes. And they say, oh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna watch that girl from Days of Our Lives in 10 movies. I'm, and, hey, Erica Durant has a movie. Yes. And so the studios don't do that anymore. But they should. But they should. Because this, this has so much Chemistry. goodwill. Yeah. And as far as the Valentine Encore, by the way, you have to sit through the whole end credits. And really, it's kind of underwhelming. All it is is the entire cast singing to Natasha Bedingfield's Unwritten, which I thought was funny because... Brian Brown from the FX movies yes. in the 80s wow. and Dermot M- Mulroney, uh, they're the respective parents. Okay. okay. And they have to sing this Natasha Bedingfield song. And but I'm thinking they, they don't know that song. So how much prep time to learn the lyrics? And they, right. Because they don't know this song. Well, it depends on how many cuts there are. True. It's not one take. I would have loved to have the job to teach Dermot Mulroney the lyrics to Unwritten. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Uh, so the the story is Shakespeare, and they make some great allusions to to the bard throughout. Uh, at one point during a wedding scene, someone says, "I love you with so much of my heart, there is none left to protest." And someone else goes, "Wow, that's that's really beautiful." And they go, "Yes, I just came up with it," Aww. which is funny because it's obviously Shakespeare, and they Honestly. do that a couple of times. If you've not seen Much Ado About Nothing, it's about uh, a couple who hit it off, but then through a series of misunderstandings, grow to hate one another, and then they find themselves in the same place for a wedding, and they have to pretend to be a couple so they don't ruin the wedding. Of course, actual sparks fly. And the reason why you care about this movie is because, again, Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, both very easy on the eyes, have a great chemistry with one another. So many rom-coms... You cast a hot guy, cast a hot girl, and then maybe you, you hope. hope. It, yeah, and then with this one. Or Adam Sandler gets to pick whoever he wants to kiss that weekend. Exactly, yeah. And let me see. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, Drew Barrymore. Let me see. Selma Hayek. Uh, no, this movie. Idina Menzel. Exactly. This movie, I think, is very, very well done. Is it my kind of movie? No. Am I going to buy it and watch it a bunch? No. But you would go see them if they were paired together again. 100%. If they announce a movie tomorrow. By the way, Sydney Sweeney, I'll say again producer on this film which means she had a hand in shepherding the script she had a hand in casting casting she had a hand in bringing will gluck on board she's a producer now she and knows now, what she's doing and now a very successful one she could bring glenn back she could bring will gluck back and why not when you've had this kind of groundswell support and, and you know and a lot of people think oh well she's just that kid from euphoria but she was emmy nominated for white lotus she's hosting saturday night live mm-hmm. That's so right. she is getting her name out there and she's being very smart of everything she's doing because some people in Hollywood don't use the gifts that they have that they've been given 
they just like, well, I guess I'll be a star as long as I can. She is making things happen for herself. I will tell you in the awful but enjoyable train wreck, Madam Web, uh, she plays a, a a Spider Woman character, and when she's in the suit at, at, at the end, she looks incredible. And it, it would be a travesty if they don't try to give her further adventures in that suit. Now, I will say Tom O'Keefe, colleague of ours, mm-hmm. also enjoyed this movie and gave it a positive review. However, he thought Sidney Sweeney was the weak link. He called her acting flat. She can. She's. T- she's I disagree Emmy with. Nominated. Yeah, I disagree with that. I think that. She, I think. I thought she was great. So the movie is anyone but you. If you do love rom coms, then this is one of the better ones. I, I had a family member over the holidays when we were talking about movies, and I'm trying to talk about these highfalutin art films, and they said, "Have you seen anyone but you?" And I'm thinking, "Oh no, I don't want to." Mm-hmm. And I and I'm. I'm sorry that I reacted that way because I should not be judgmental or elitist. This yeah, is a very go, jerk. It's a very well done rom com. And, and by the way, it's Shakespeare, which he was not an elitist writer. He was the most popular guy of his time. People, mm-hmm. he was like the Beatles. People loved him. So she was nominated twice in one year for Emmys because she's not. I don't know how Tom could say that she was flat on screen because. If you're gonna, if okay, if you're nominated for one Emmy, maybe that's a fluke. But two Emmys in the same year, I don't think so, Tom. B and Ben—they're absolutely hating each other. They had a disastrous first date that they both can't really forget about. I couldn't get her out of here fast enough. And then they meet years later at this wedding. They're caught off guard when they see each other. It does not go smoothly at all. Four words: animosity, hate, liar. But then they have to work together. Because my parents want me to go back with my ex, and he wants to get with another girl. So they team up. They're like, okay, we're going to fake it. And it ends up being a disaster. The movie is Anyone But You with the Valentine Encore. That's Carl Miniman. I'm Max Boise. This is Max on Movies. Go to KTRS.com slash Max on Movies to hear more.